You're listening to the British Birth Stories podcast, the place where mothers from around the country share their birth stories. I am your host, Ashley Brennickmeyer, and I'm so glad that you're here. On today's episode, I have the pleasure of chatting with Carly Tasker, who tells us the story of her journey to motherhood. She gave birth via the NHS this summer in the middle of COVID restrictions, and she shares her experience of becoming a mom to Grace. She's also a digital creative, and I'm going to link her Instagram and website in the show notes because her style and her eye is impeccable, and I love following her. So I hope that you enjoy hearing her story as much as I did. Without further ado, here's Carly. Thank you so much for coming on the show today, Carly. I'm so excited to have you. Um, Could you just start us off by telling all of us a little bit about yourself and who you live with and where you live? Sure. Thank you so much for having me. Um, So I live with my husband, James, and um, my daughter, Grace, and our two Siamese cats, who you'll probably hear at some point. They're so noisy. <laughs> They're like kind of circling around the laptop as we speak. Um, we live in Rochester in Kent. Um, so just about 40 minutes outside of London. Were you trying to fall pregnant? And um, kind of tell me a little bit about your journey falling pregnant. So we decided to start trying for a baby. So firstly, I guess I should start by saying that I have endometriosis so after like years and years of really painful periods and going back and forth to the doctor um we kind of finally narrowed it down to okay it's endometriosis so I had um hormone therapy and a couple of surgeries and then once it was kind of okay to start trying for a baby they said like now's the time this is your best chance of conceiving naturally so we kind of went for it And I wasn't sure how long it was going to take. I'd kind of mentally prepared myself that it could be, you know, like a year or two or, you know, maybe we wouldn't fall pregnant naturally at all. Um, And then we got pregnant literally the first month. So I was like, wow, this is amazing. Mm. Um, So we felt really lucky that that had happened. And then so that was back in June 2019. Um, And we'd had a couple of scans um I'd had like a lot of pain to begin with so I wasn't sure whether that was normal and because of my history with endometriosis we'd we'd had these early scans and everything was fine um and then we went for the 12-week scan um in August last year and then we were told at that scan at the 12-week scan that there wasn't a heartbeat um so that was my first um, pregnancy that we we had a missed miscarriage um mm. so we so they said you know you can go home and either let it kind of happen naturally that could take up to like two weeks and I just knew that for me that would just be hell kind of waiting for it to to happen or you could come in and we'll book you in for a dnc and it will kind of all be over um a couple of days later so so that's what I chose to do and really lucky at that time that this happened last year and um, James, my husband, was with me um, for the scan um, and then also when I went in for the surgery to to have the DNC. Um, 
so and I just really feel for anybody going through anything like that now during the pandemic where you know you can't have anybody with you for these appointments just must be horrific but an already really difficult time just made even harder being completely isolated and on your own um so that happened and then I kind of really wanted to start trying for a the, the second baby straight away um so we left it a couple months to kind of let my body heal and then we started trying again it didn't happen as quickly second time around and I kind of found it really so there was loads of people that I was following from the first time on Instagram who were pregnant and just kind of watching their journey and and being like oh well okay so this person's now you know, they've done their pregnancy announcement and they're, they're 20 weeks now and kind of comparing where I should have been with my baby mm. was really, really tough. I kind of went through a bit of a weird kind of period where I had to kind of unfollow anybody who I was following on social media who was pregnant because I couldn't help but compare where I should have been or mm. I'd kind of work out the dates and be like, well, I'm ahead of you. I should be, you know, 28 weeks and it was just a really weird time. That's so understandable. I can imagine. What was the timeline like for you um, falling pregnant with your now daughter? So that was in, I think it was around November. So, so we found out that we'd had the miscarriage in August, which mm-hmm. is really strange because the, the Grace, we brought Grace home the day that we left the hospital like a year, literally a year to the day after. Wow. So that was kind of like some weird, you know, serendipity type situation. Um, so, yeah, we fell pregnant again. I think it took us about four or five months, about four months. We found out we were pregnant just before Christmas. Um, so obviously this time around I was really, really cautious. The first time around we told all of our friends, like as soon as we found out, we told everybody. Um, I don't know if that was naive to do that, but I was just so excited, and it didn't. You just don't really think that anything like that is gonna is gonna happen. So, so yeah, this time around we were really kind of private about it. Um, we didn't even tell our parents until we'd got to the three month mark. I didn't tell my brother or anything like that. Were you having any pregnancy symptoms, or how were you feeling at that time? No, I didn't. I, I remember feeling really, really tired, but I didn't have any sickness or anything like that. I had like a bit of nausea, but it, nothing compared to some of my friends have had, um, you know, really, really severe morning sickness where they've been sick all day and they've had to be hospitalised and just, you know, had a really tough time with it. So luckily I didn't have anything like that. And can you tell us a little bit about the care that you opted for in this pregnancy and birth as well? So we were at an NHS hospital. We went to Darren Valley um, in Kent and I didn't really feel like I had that much choice. Um, so we got Medway Hospital, which has apparently got a really good birth centre um, and we've got Pembry, which kind of felt like a bit too far away for us. Um, so we decided to go to Big Giant Valley. I know a lot of my friends are giving birth there. It just kind of felt like the safest option. Um, so we did that, and I really wanted to have a, a natural kind of holistic birth, and I'd done loads of research, and I kind of 
had prepared myself for, you know, hypnobirthing and I wanted to have a birth pool and all of the rest of it, but that did not happen. It didn't go to plan. And did you choose to find out um, her gender during your pregnancy? Yes, we found out. uh, We had a private scan at 16 weeks. Um, There's no way I could have waited the whole the whole nine months to find out. But strangely, our so uh, our best friends who were pregnant at the same time, they found out they were pregnant a couple months after we did. Um, they decided to keep the gender a surprise. So um, it was it was really nice to be pregnant with them at the same time and not know what what they were having. And I kind of feel like maybe next time I I'll wait to see. I don't know. Easy to say that now, but I think maybe. I think when you've got the option, it makes it harder. I think if I didn't have the option, I'd be fine with it. But knowing that you can find out, I kind of needed to. (laughs) That's understandable. I'm also realizing that during this time, lockdown was really ramping up. And um, there's a lot lot of uncertainty. And I imagine this might have overlapped with around the time that you were looking for antenatal classes. So I'm curious how you're feeling and um, where that sort of left you, if you could talk us through that. Yeah, it was so, it was such a scary time. And my husband's a teacher as well. So I, I kind of felt like everyone kind of locked down. People weren't going to work, but he was still going to work for quite a while after so that was making me really nervous, the fact that he was with these, you know, 30-plus children every day. Um, and then I was feeling really nervous about the fact that we didn't know what COVID does to women who were pregnant because, you know, none of these babies had been born yet. So that was making me feel really anxious. Um, and he wasn't able to come with me to the 12-week scan or the 20-week scan, which was really tough. Um, especially because I was kind of holding on to the first pregnancy and kind of I was kind of expecting bad news and I remember going in for the 12-week scan and we went into the well I went into the exact same room for the um, the sonogram as oh, we wow. had done for the first and I just remember thinking oh my god this is the exact same room it was just really and you know they don't talk to you, do they? They can't, they keep really quiet and they say, I'm going to go quiet for a little while now and it doesn't mean anything, but it just kind of feels mm. like an eternity. I, I felt like it was – I felt like I was in there for ages before she said anything. Sure. Oh, I can empathize so much with how lonely that must have felt for that entire silent period. Oh, my gosh. And, and I'm also really surprised and – frankly disappointed that they didn't approach it as a case-by-case basis given that that was literally the same room for you and not applying a blanket policy to you and letting your husband come with you I don't think they knew and it didn't I didn't really feel like Mm. I was in in a position to even say um yeah, it was just kind of one of those hmm. one of those things where you know when you just kind of feel like you're going along with it, you're just going with the flow and it all kind of happens quite quickly. And that reminds me as well. At this point, what what were the regulations in terms of having a birth partner join you at birth or what were you preparing to expect um within your hospital and how how were you feeling going into that? 
Well, there was so much in the news at that point of um, women who weren't able to have their birth partners. And I was, everything that I was reading was just kind of like a big horror story. And I was thinking, oh my God, I don't know how I'm going to do this if I have to be in hospital on my own. Um, and then I, I became really fixated on having a home birth because I thought, fine, well, the most important thing to me was to have him, have James with me no matter what. So I thought, well, I don't, you know, it's not ideal. I don't really want to have a home birth for my first baby, but the priority of him being with me, I thought, well, that's my only option. And then I remember speaking to my midwife and she said, well, we're not doing home births. They're just, they're unavailable at the minute because if he was to need a transfer to the hospital, um, we don't know whether we could do that for you. So it's just not, it's not possible. So I just kind of felt a bit trapped, like, and also a little bit in limbo because everything was changing so quickly at that point. Um, it was almost impossible to plan for. It was, it, it, I don't know if you remember how, how it was then. I mean, it's a bit of a blur for me, but it, it was almost like a week by week basis, wasn't it? Everything was changing so fast and, Mm-hmm. So yeah, it just felt a bit, a bit like I was in limbo for, for those mm. few months. Yeah, I think that's so interesting to, to sit with that for a second as well because I think that's a big trauma piece for a lot of people, birthing people and mothers this year, because having a plan is a safety component, and not having that is a tough foundation to begin that journey or to be on that journey and have that be a huge factor. So I definitely empathize a lot with that. Um, And it's also very impressive that you made it through that as well. I think you deserve a lot of credit (laughs) for navigating that. Mm. I know that, you know, we've all got a birth plan and the ideal scenario of what we want to happen, but it almost felt like I, I couldn't even have that I couldn't even plan for what my idea was because you just didn't know and I think not having any control over any part of it was you know even the bits that you normally can have a bit of control over yeah it's just a really strange time but now that I'm kind of out of you know I've got my baby now and I'm like wow what a story that she's she was born in the middle of a pandemic and luckily everything was fine and and I was really lucky with the birth James was able to be with me since, you know, we were reduced. So he was able to be with me from the very beginning, which I'd heard horror stories of women who'd been induced. It would taken days before they'd even got to the, you know, the four centimetre marker where they mm. allowed their partners in. Mm. And that didn't happen, yeah. luckily. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> also, just to backtrack really quick, because I'm not sure I heard so forgive me if if you did say, but did you choose to do any antenatal classes to prepare for labour? We did an online one. Um, it just wasn't what I was – I can't even remember who it was with now. It wasn't great. It was like a – it was a Zoom thing. There were about 30 couples all on one thing. Everyone had their screens off. Um, and a lot of my friends had told me that – these classes were, they'd only found them beneficial to make friends. There wasn't anything in these classes that they really took away that they hadn't read from doing their own research. So I kind of mainly wanted to do it because I wanted to 
almost like build a network. Most of my friends have got children anyway, but they're none of them have got babies. So I, I almost wanted to do it to build like a network of people locally to me. Um, but that these people were, you know, from all over, and that is probably partly down to me just choosing the wrong, the wrong course. Um, but yeah, I didn't really get much out of it. And actually, I remember one particular evening we logged on and they were describing in great detail um the you know how it is when you have a cesarean and they had this video of like pieces of cloth like eight layers of cloth that they were lifting up and each layer was like this is your fat this is your tissue this is your muscle and even though it wasn't graphic I was just like oh my god I really this is not helpful I just for me I just didn't need to hear it we did a, um, a hypnobirthing course, though, which was um, which was amazing. Actually, we did the positive birth company, so we just kind of bought the, the online pack, and we could do that at our own pace. And as I said before, our friends who were pregnant at the same time had bought the same online pack, so it almost felt like we were doing it with them in a way. So that was nice, and I got so much out of that. No, I would highly recommend highly recommend this one. Ruby, I'll put that in the show notes in case anybody else wants to check that out. Um, and then I think bringing us right up to labor, you said you were induced. So can you just tell me kind of about the run up to that and how you were feeling and what, what happened there? So I was low risk um, for the whole pregnancy. And then I got to 38 weeks and I had a midwife appointment. And she measured my belly and she said, oh, my God, you're you're huge. Like that you've really grown in the last two weeks since I saw you last. And um, we need to get you in for a growth scan to, to check on the baby because I, I think you're having a really big baby. And I was really surprised because she hadn't said any of that, you know, the whole pregnancy. And there was no indication of that. Um, and I said, well, what could this why, why could I suddenly be showing really big? And she said, oh, it could be um, gestational diabetes or it could be, I can't even remember what the other couple of things that she said were now. I remember gestational diabetes sticking in my head and um, naively I was thinking, oh, my God, I was thinking about like the chocolate bar that I'd eaten and, and all of the bad food that I'd, <laughs> I'd had. And I knew that, I mean, I wasn't unhealthy or anything, but you just kind of beat yourself up over the, the couple of things that you've done wrong which aren't even wrong, you know, like having some biscuits with your tea. It's not bad. It's just, you know, but I remember being obsessed. And I had, so I had to go in for a test to see if I had gestational diabetes and go in for a, a scan. So I went in for the scan and they said um, they couldn't see that the baby was big. The baby was measuring average, um, but I had excess fluid. So then the next step was to do this gestational diabetes test which came back negative um so that kind of struck that one off and then they said okay so the reason for the excess fluid it's called polyhydramnius um and it's quite rare um and they said the reason could be that the baby has something wrong with its its throat going down to its belly so it's something to do with them drinking the amniotic fluid but not peeing it out or something um, so then I kind of started to get really anxious that there was something wrong with the baby. Um, and the other risk was that if I was to, if my waters were to break naturally, um, the cord, I could have like a, a 
placental prolapse. So the cord could prolapse or something, um, which then could end up, you know, the cord could go around the baby's neck and it could just have a lot more complications than than normal. So they said, so, you know, we can either um, induce you or you can go home and just wait for the birth to happen naturally. But if your waters were to break, you'd need to get an ambulance and come into the hospital straight away. So that just kind of immediately felt like a big no for me um, to kind of go and wait. And, you know, if that was to happen, I just couldn't deal with that anxiety at that time. Um, so I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to be induced. But I'd obviously done this positive birth um, course. And from what I learned from that, I was like, there's no way that I want to be induced. So already I kind of felt like my birth plan was kind of going down the path that I didn't want it to. But I was like, you know, it's just one of those things. So I came out from my consultant appointment, went to the front desk to see if they could give me a date for the induction, thinking that it would be like, you know, a week or you know, like a, a few days' time at least. And I was like, okay, we can fit you in tomorrow at nine. So I was like, wow. <laughs> I was not expecting to have my baby tomorrow. But um, so I was like, okay, fine, great. And obviously James wasn't with me. He was waiting in the car. So I, I kind of came out. And was that due to COVID regulation that he needed to wait in the car? Yeah, so he wasn't allowed in mm-hmm. from 12 weeks. So he wasn't there for any of my yeah. appointments throughout the pregnancy. And luckily, we'd okay. had those couple of private scans at the beginning. So he'd seen the baby. Mm-hmm. Um, so he'd got, he you know, got to experience that, which I was really grateful for. And this was July this year, correct? About yeah. 38 weeks for you? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I gave birth at 39 plus 3. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, this must have been at, you know, 39 weeks maybe. So, um, so I came out, met him in the car and I was like, yep, yeah, so I'm being induced tomorrow. <laughs> and so we went home, had like a nice dinner. I kind of finished packing up my hospital bag. It just felt really strange because I obviously spent all day at the hospital as well because I had to have the, the um, gestational diabetes test and had the consultation with the, the doctor. Um, as I kind of felt like I, I just needed some downtime, but there was no there wasn't any downtime. By the time we'd got home, it was like, right, dinner. Um, the cat decided to get cystitis. <laughs> um, so I was like, wow, now we need to give him medicine. So, yeah, it was just like a really, everything was just really bad timing. Um, and then we went in the next day to be induced. And what did your induction look like? So they, I can't remember all of the names and all the proper terminology, so um, apologies for that. But they, so they said, you know, we'll get you in. We're going to start you off with the gel. Um, And the one thing that I've just been so fearful of the whole time was internal examinations. I just didn't want that. And everything that I'd read about, I just hated the idea of it. Um, And especially from having endometriosis as well, for, you know, like two, three years prior to falling pregnant, I'd just been prodded and poked and had so much stuff done that I just didn't want anything like that. I just wanted to kind of birth my baby naturally, you know, with no intervention. Um, so I was really fearful of having um, the examinations and just the induction in general. But we started off with the gel, like a pessary. No, we started off with a pessary, which they put in. 
and I was able to leave the hospital. I was still in there as an inpatient, but I was able to leave and walk around the grounds. Remember, my mum met me, and we kind of did a, a long walk to try and get things going. So that was on the Wednesday. Um, and then nothing happened. Luckily, James was able to come in with me, so he stayed with me Wednesday night. And then Thursday, I started to get contractions. They have to examine you as well every every six hours, I think. So I was kind of building myself up for these examinations. And I think it was just making me clamp up as well. Just, you know, everything that you read about you need to be in a good space with, you know, we'd ordered candles and had, a, you know, the right spa music and eye masks and all of that stuff. It just completely went out the window being in a in a hospital with all these bright lights and it was in the middle of a heat wave as well so you know just feeling so uncomfortable not in your own space um and I feel like it kind of made it drag out longer than what it would have been but you know it, it was also my choice to to go ahead with the induction um so then I think I had a second pessary nothing happened I remember she came to visit me my midwife um the next morning and I was thinking, right, surely by now I need to be dilated just a little bit. And so this has been over 24 hours, I think, by this point. And she examined me and I was one centimetre. <laughs> and I remember just bursting into tears thinking, I don't know how many more times I can be examined and how much more I can, you know, sit in this bay, in this room and just, I just didn't know how much longer I could do it. And I was like, nothing has even started yet. I'm not, I haven't even had any contractions. And I was already feeling a bit deflated um, with what was happening. And then that night they started the gel, which was the next step. Um, and then I finally started to have contractions. Um, the contractions got quite intense, actually. And there was a bathroom on the ward that I was on and um, so we were able to put ourselves in the bathroom James came in with me turned all the lights off took our little battery fairy lights put our spa music on had my eye mask and he ran me a warm bath and I remember staying in there I don't even know how long for I think at least like three hours just topping the hot water up um, and he was so sweet he just sat on the toilet the whole time um you know with the lid down obviously um just kind of company um yeah and and I was I used some of the positive birth um course bits that I'd learned throughout the pregnancy to kind of help me get through that and the, the contractions are kind of becoming quite intense by that point uh, and then I think it got to about 1am and we decided to get into bed. So he was in the chair next to me. I got into bed. We tried to get a couple of hours sleep. And then I woke up at 3 o'clock. I was kind of drifting in and out of sleep. I woke up at 3am and I felt the baby do like two massive kicks. I just, it was, I'd never felt anything like that before. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh my God. And my first thought was, oh, I'm, I'm bleeding. Like something's wrong. And I think that was obviously just the whole pregnancy was just, in, I was just waiting for something bad to happen. Um, and then I was like, no, no, it's, it's my waters. I think my waters are broken. So 
I kind of pulled the sheets down, we turned the lights on, and I was like, oh, my God, yeah, they're definitely broken. And um, you know, it's not going to be dramatic. It's not how you see in the films. It's nothing like that. But it was like, it was like a paddling pool had just been thrown all over the floor. It was so dramatic. And over my knees started shaking, and I was like, oh, my God, what's happening? Um, yeah, it was it was wild. And then, obviously, James went to tell the midwives that, that my waters are, well, he thought my waters had broken. The midwives came in, and they were like, yeah, there's, <laughs> they've definitely broken. So they examined me to check that the cord hadn't come out before the baby um, because they had to check for the, the whole prolapse of the, of the cord, umbilical cord. Everything was fine. So, you know, I had to clean myself up and got back into bed. Um, and then, because I was really nervous that they were going to have to break my waters. They were saying that they would have to break my waters for me as part of the induction if they didn't break naturally. So that was like a huge, I was dreading that. And they kept describing the, oh, no, it's not that bad. It's almost just like a little crochet hook. <laughs> which didn't put my mind at ease at all because who wants a crochet hook, you know, up there? Um, so, so yeah, luckily she did, you know, she broke the waters, Grace, herself, so that was good. And then um, they said, oh, you know, we've got a room for you. You can go up at, to the delivery suite at 7, 7 a.m. So... And between, you know, between three and seven, I can't even remember where those hours went um, before I knew I was I was in the delivery suite. And because of the polyhydramnius, the, my labour was now considered high risk. So I went into the birthing suite. I had to be hooked up on monitors, which I was the whole time. So the whole way through having contractions, I was hooked up to, um, to monitors to check the baby's heart rate, that she wasn't in distress. Um, I was able to have them off when I had the bath, but then when I came back, I had to be um, put back on them. So we went into the delivery suite. I met my midwife. And that's another thing. I had so many different midwives. And then I, I kind of felt like uh, once I was in the delivery suite, I felt much calmer almost, even though it was just about to all kind of ramp up. I felt much calmer that I had just one midwife. She was going to be there to the end. And I, I felt like I was it was happening now which was strangely really nice. I guess you just feel closer to your baby. You're one step closer. And then at that point, they said, okay, I think we should maybe get you ready for an epidural. Um, and I, I was dead against that as well from everything that I'd, I'd read about. I didn't want an epidural. I didn't want to be immobile. I wanted to be up. I wanted to be moving around. They explained to me that because of the... Um, induction everything can feel a lot more intense and the pain can be quite it, the pain could be worse than a natural labor and um, so they said you know we could get we could get you an epidural and we also felt pressure because I was in there at seven and they came around and said look if you want an epidural you kind of need to decide now otherwise if you don't there might be a list by the time you decide that you do want one if you do want one later um so they was like, if you want one, you can have it now. Or there's a few other ladies who are, you know, in different suites on this ward. Um, so I kind of felt that there was a bit of time, you know, a bit of a time pressure on me there. 
and being faced with do you want an epidural do you want a basic or do you want to be in pain and we might not be able to help you um, manage it for however many hours is what do you go for um so you're like well I I don't know right now because I don't know what the pain's going to be like so I decided to have the epidural it's like a mobile epidural so they they put it in you can push the button to determine how much of the drug that you have if you feel like you don't need any more you can you can stop if you feel like you need more it's available to click every 20 minutes Um, and they said you, you can still move your legs um so I said okay if I have the epidural and I you know you put it in if I decide not to have it to not go ahead with the drugs you can at the end of the labor you can just take it out right and they said yeah we can do that so they came around put it in James went to go and get us some some water and they said I could have I hadn't eaten for quite a while so they said I could have some porridge but if I needed to eat then I needed to eat you know soon and then that would be it so he went to go and get some porridge um came back and I was in absolute agony so by this point I'd been um hooked up to the the drip to really kind of ramp up the induction and the pain that I had was just I haven't I hadn't experienced anything like that before um it was unbearable so I was straight on the straight on the button with the epidural pushing it as you know as often as I could he came back armed with porridge and and tea and didn't know what was going on because we thought it was a safe time for him to leave he was just nipping downstairs and I was like no no go you know have a little walk get some fresh air call your mum and nothing's going to be happening and he came back and it was in full swing um and I was like you know writing around on the bed like someone from the exorcist it was just horrific um so then I started with the epidural um, and it wasn't working. So um, I think she did an examination and a couple of hours later I'd come from one centimetre. Even though my waters had burst, I was still only at one centimetre. Um, but then I'd gone from one centimetre to I think seven in a couple of hours and the the epidural wasn't working. So they came back in. They had to take it out and put it back in again because they, they think they'd got the wrong spot or something had happened there. So they did that um, and it, it still wasn't working after hours. Um, so they gave me another injection, which I should probably know what it is, but I can't remember now. But they gave me another drug to kind of take the pain away. That didn't work. Was it maybe pethidine? No, it wasn't because no. I was adamant okay. I didn't want that one. Mm, okay. Um, it was like a booster for the. It was like an epidural booster or something. Um, almost like a morphine or something. It wasn't morphine, but it was something like that. Um, and then, yeah, eventually all the pain went away, but I couldn't feel my legs anymore. <laughs> so, and the idea was to have a mobile epidural so that I can still go to the toilet because I didn't want to have a catheter in. I still wanted to kind of be on all fours. Um, so I tried doing that for a little while, but because they had to continuously monitor the baby, I was like, we can't, we keep losing the baby's heartbeat. And it's not because there's anything wrong with the baby. It's just because you're in a funny position and the baby keeps moving. So then I was on my back, which is just, you know, I just didn't want to be having 
that position I didn't want to be in you know on my back in a really uncomfortable you know I wanted gravity and you know everything that you read about that you know how to the baby into the world and all of that um it just wasn't happening so I was basically on my back for 12 hours I couldn't even feel when my contractions were happening so I was guided by the midwife um so that I didn't tear and then I had two hours of active pushing um and I, I yeah it was just very full on um, and I remember the, the, the doctor came in at one point towards the end and I, I think they were ready to to do um, an assisted birth which I was also dreading I didn't want forceps or, or a montus or anything like that um, and also my midwife was like right, I'm cooking off at 8pm and I gave birth at 7.58 so I, I think I kind of responded to the pressure there um, and like, strangely, my contractions, so they're meant to ramp up, aren't they, towards the end, when you're in the final stages of pushing. And mine were, my last two pushes, they were still five minutes apart. So I remember pushing, and I remember her saying, oh, we just need to, her chin stuck, because she was trying to unget, you know, trying to undo her chin, get her chin out. And then... I remember just feeling like, oh, wow, when is this going to be over? I'm so tired. I just need this to be over. Um, and I remember looking at the machine next to me and I was holding James's hand. It just felt like forever. We were waiting for this next contraction. And it was five five minutes before we, we had to wait for the next one to push the rest of her out. What was the placenta delivery like and how did you find it? I don't remember it. I had the injection. And by that point, I just thought, well, this is, I wanted to deliver the placenta naturally, originally. And by this one, I was like, well, I've had so many drugs. I just, I, I can't feel my legs. I can't feel anything. I just wanted everything to be over. So I didn't want to wait to deliver the placenta. I just wanted to, I just wanted everything to be finished. So I was like, yeah, just give me the injection. So they gave me an injection, delivered the placenta, and then my midwife finished, um, and then I had another midwife come to sew me up. I had a second-degree tear, um, so, yeah, I had this new midwife come to sew me up while I was holding the baby. She was a nice distraction. And it's, I asked James as well, I was like, I don't want you to film it, but I want you to put the audio on in your phone so that you can record her, you know, being born. I wanted to hear, I wanted to be able to play that back. So we did that, but he was in charge of music, so he had his phone next to the speaker. And I think by this point, the labour had been going on for such a long time that our playlist had kind of gone into something different. And when I, when I listened back to this lovely, it's like the most beautiful audio of our baby being born and hearing her first cry. And then when you listen to it back again, there's like Nicki Minaj in the background, like twerk, 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 twerk. So it was like the most amazing, like you're hearing her first cry and it was just so magical. And then you've got Nicki Minaj in the background, like singing the most inappropriate song. You can come up with a better song, I'm sure. I was like, James, you had one job. Like what, what happened? 
<laughs> but yeah, it's funny. Oh. And and how did you um, find? How did you choose to feed your baby? And how did you find that f- that first few days with your new baby? So I um, always wanted to breastfeed. That was the plan all along. So um, when she was born, I put her straight on my breast, and everything seemed to be going okay. Um, she was born at about eight, yeah, two minutes to eight in the evening, um, and visiting hours were over at nine. So I think it took me it took about an hour for me to be stitched up, and by the time they'd done everything and made the baby, they had to take the baby away straight away to special care because they had to check for the the airway thing that I mentioned earlier on. Um, with the polygenius to make sure that there was nothing wrong with her. Um, so they did that, brought her back, everything was okay. So the polyhydramnius was just one of those things. It wasn't the gestational diabetes. There was nothing wrong with the baby. It was just a strange, you know, like anomaly, just one of those things that, that everything was fine. So that was a relief. Um, and then... So, yeah, so then they said, you know, you can kind of hang around here. We'll try and finish everything up, do all the paperwork as slowly as possible so that James could be with me. And then they said, when we roll you back to the ward, he's going to have to leave. So he wasn't even allowed to kind of see me in. He just had to bring my bags to the door. And then that was that. And I still felt numb from my – so they walked me up in a wheelchair and I was holding a baby, but my legs still felt numb. I felt like I couldn't – I was just exhausted because I'd, I'd kind of been in labour for – even though it was an active labour, I'd been induced on the Tuesday and by this Tuesday? Yeah, Tuesday. And by this point we were on Friday, like late evening. So I was just so tired. So I just felt really nervous and just really kind of overwhelmed being left alone with this new baby and and just I just had so much anxiety. Just felt really scared by everything. It was late, there was the, the nurses, it was all dark, you know, and they turned all the lights off and I was on a ward and, yeah, I just couldn't wait for, for morning. I remember cuddling the baby and having her crib next to me, you know, the little plastic crib that they have, and trying to stretch to kind of put her back in, but my legs felt really wobbly and, yeah, it was just a really surreal time and I could not wait for him to get back in the morning. And naively thought that in the morning we were going to be going home. Um the morning came and I got her dressed into my cute little going home outfit and the nurse came round and all of a sudden she was like um she looks jaundiced to me we're going to take her for a check so they came and did like a quick little check with a special gun like almost like a temperature gun thing it was like yep yeah, she's jaundiced we need to take her to special care so they took her away um and then we followed her up to special care. And there's so there's physiological and pathological jaundice. And pathologicals where they're diagnosed with jaundice within the first 24 hours. Um, so physiological is, is harmless and it happens quite a lot in babies. It's quite common. Um, but pathological is normally due to like an underlying health condition or in our case it was our blood group incompatibility so my blood and grace's blood were mixed at some point either during pregnancy or at birth um which had made her jaundice really severe um so by the time we got up to special care we, you know, we followed her up there but you know maybe half an hour 
sort of five minutes later. Because um, we were thinking she was coming back. Um, and then we found out that she wasn't, so we followed her up there. She was hooked up to um, an incubator and she had all these lights around her, the little chest monitor. She just had so many monitors around her, it was terrifying. And all the babies that she was next to were severely premature. They looked tiny um, and they had so many you know, major issues wrong that I was just thinking, oh, my God, this is – it just felt awful. And I just – I wasn't sure. I just – I didn't know what was happening, really. Um, so we had to wait for the consultant to tell us what was going on. I'd heard of jaundice as well, but I I just thought that the jaundice was, you know, they just had a bit yellow. And, and we felt really bad because when she was born, we were like, wow, she's – she felt like a Mediterranean action. And because it was like, we were both really tanned. And I was like, yeah, she gets it from me. Look how tanned she is. It turns out like 12 hours later, she's not tanned. She's just really, really poorly. Um, so, yeah, that was that was really tough seeing her go through that. Mm-hmm. And how long did she end up needing to stay in the NICU? And how are you feeling at that same time? So she was in there for six days altogether. Um, we didn't know when she was going to be coming home. They said to begin with it could be anything from a couple of days to a couple of weeks. We just had to play it by ear. So um, they also had to check that she didn't have uh, sepsis and any other bacterial infections. So she had a a little cannula in her tiny hand and she had her, her hands, like her arms were in um, almost like these little stents to keep her hands straight so that she couldn't move them. Um, and then also because it was so hot and she was in an incubator, um, she ended up, her temperature spiked. So she had to have medicine to get her temperature under control because they was worried about, about that. Um so she was having tests every four hours. They were testing her blood every four hours to check her levels of bilirubin to see how jaundice she was. And we had this graph where we were kind of monitoring her and it was going up and then it was going down and it was going up. And she was so far above the, the safety line that they thought they were going to have to give her a blood transfusion. Um. So, yeah, so they didn't end up having to do that. They gave her something else. They gave her some um, an injection for hemo, hemoglobin, I think that's how you say it. Um, and that ended up bringing the level right down. But it has to stay consecutively down under the safety line for a certain number of days. But the older they become, the line naturally goes down anyway. So, so every day it's kind of become safer. Um, and luckily... So I was still under the care of um, maternity ward. So she was on special care. I was in my ward um, and I'd go back there the first couple of nights I went back to sleep. But I was waking up every two hours to go back um, to special care to feed her, to breastfeed her. Um, And then they discharged me from the maternity ward. So I, I didn't need to be on there anymore. And... I was really worried because I thought they was going to let me go home. And luckily, they found a bed for me on the um, on the special care unit, which was even better because I was even closer to her then. 
it was just horrible for you, you know, being so, it, even though it was only like a, you know, a ward away, um, being on the maternity and she was on special care, it just felt too far away. Um, and I remember I was in my room, I think I'd, I was just getting some rest and it was so hot. I had one of those water spray, you know, like an Evian water spray. And I was spraying it and the lady next to me, I, she must have thought it was deodorant or something. So she shouted at me over the curtain and told me off and was saying how she's got her baby there and, and I was using deodorant. And I was like, oh, no, no, it's, it's just water spray. It's literally, it's, it's not perfume, it's just Evian. It's like in a bottle, that's all it is. And I just, I burst into tears. I was on my own at that point and she was saying about how her baby was there and I was like, my baby's not here. And you know, you're just feeling like something deprived and I just wanted my baby. I just burst into tears and called James. I was like, the lady next door has just had a go at me for using deodorant. It's not just heavy. Yeah, that was my, it was just a really long week. And obviously we'd been in the hospital being induced for, three days before that so it just felt like we were in there for a really long time um so I was lucky that I was able to stay there the whole time and then the last couple of days that we were in James was able to to spend the night in the special care so the special care rooms that they've got are when so these babies have some of them have been in there for months and before they're allowed to come home um you, the parents normally do a couple nights in there as part of the transition before they take them home because a lot of them go home on medication so they kind of need to almost learn how to look after their baby before they bring them home. So I was lucky that he was able to stay in there with me the last couple of nights before we got to bring her back but I kind of felt like all of my confidence had kind of gone out the window because before this I was and I've looked after babies before, so I I kind of felt like I was I used to be a nanny, so I've looked after children and I know how to change a nappy and I know how to feed a baby and I, I kind of felt quite competent with all of those things. But then being in special care, you just feel like you're being watched so so much that you know when you start making silly mistakes or you know when you're driving and there's a police car behind you and you're not actually doing anything wrong, but it just makes you really paranoid. It kind of felt like that, but just a lot worse just yeah strange um and the food that she she had to have a certain amount of food every feed to make sure that she flushed out the, the jaundice and she had antibodies because of our blood had mixed and things like that so we had to be quite strict which also put pressure on um, breastfeeding and i just realized we've gone on a massive tangent here i think your initial question was about the breastfeeding journey um no, it, all everything that you said and covered is very important and does inform the feeding journey in general. So I'm glad that you shared all of that. Um, I was just curious what it looked like going forward and what your feeding plan or journey, um, how, how or if that had to change at all. If you could just talk us through that as well. So breastfeeding was really, it was... It, and luckily for me, it came quite easily. She was latching well, and I was making milk quite quickly because um, they say it can take you know up to five days, don't they, before the milk can properly start coming in. Um, but I was pumping and also, you know, hand expressing the colostrum um, into a syringe so that we could give her that because because she was in an incubator, I couldn't actually hold her to feed her. 
So they would get her out after the first couple of days. She'd been in there for the first couple of days on antibiotics on the drip, but we were just giving her colostrum through a syringe. Um, so she wasn't actually on the breast, which was tough. Um, and then they suggested that I start pumping because we needed to know exactly the amount that she was getting, which was relentless. I hated it. Um, I just felt like all I was doing was, was continuously pumping. And then by the time we got home, um, we'd moved on to formula. Um, I was just so exhausted after spending over a week in hospital. And I just felt mentally I was just... I didn't feel like myself at all. I don't know whether it was just a combination of the stress. And I don't. I think when you're in that situation, you don't really feel it as much. I think it's when you finally get home that, and you're in a you know, more of a safe space that you kind of decompress and then it hits you. It, at least it did for me. Um, and I just, the lack of sleep, and I just felt so exhausted. So we decided to formula feed um, and I undenied with it for a while because I was like, well, I am making the milk and I shouldn't be giving up on it so easily. And and it was something that I really wanted to do. So I, I think I beat myself up about it for a while. I just felt so bad that I wasn't doing the breastfeeding and I thought that that was the best thing for her and, you know, all the health benefits that come with it. Um, so, but, yeah, it didn't work. And also selfishly for me, with the endometriosis, I was – I'd read that if you breastfeed, it can also keep your periods at bay. So then that's also more beneficial for that as well. So there were so many factors built into it. Um, but yeah, ultimately it just didn't work for us. And we went with a bottle um, feeling, which was actually really good because James was saying about how he really enjoyed, and because he's a teacher, he was off in the summer. Um, so he had more than the, you know, the normal two weeks. So he, he had a total of five weeks off with us, which was lovely. We're so grateful for that. Um, so he was able to help with all of the feeds. and So that was really nice for him to be able to bond with her in that way. So, yeah, silver linings. And how did you find your health visitor or visitors? Were they helpful or not? Or I was really nervous about this because I'd heard that I'd, I'd – I think I'd built up that they wouldn't be useful or that they'd be really bossy and and I was kind of scared of of them a little bit. Um, and I remember the midwife coming round um, to begin with and she weighed the baby, but actually I was so anxious, I think because, like I said before, I, I felt like all of my confidence had been lost from being on the special care unit Um that I just had so many questions. So when they came round, I was like, is this normal? Is this normal? I think she's doing this. And what about her fontanelle? Is it, is it a bit dipped? Is it, you know, I was just, I had so many questions for them. So I really, I really valued our, our midwife. And also I, I was really worried that I was going to, I was really scared about having postnatal depression and I didn't feel like myself at all. I was having like crazy thoughts of, I think, that you know, intrusive thoughts. I was thinking, I was really nervous about walking her down the stairs. I thought, what if I fall and crush her? What if I, I was just, I had a lot of what if thoughts. So what if I fall on her? Or what if I drop her? Just, just really weird things. Like what if I walk, you know, knock her head on the, on the door frame? Um, and I was like that for a few days. And I said that to my, my midwife and I said, I hope this isn't the start of something bigger because I don't feel like myself at all and I'm, I'm starting to feel a bit crazy. 
Um, and she was re- really reassuring. And she just said, look, this is, you know, you're doing fine. You've been through a traumatic experience with her being in hospital. So she really put my mind at rest. Um, and I almost wish that we'd been able to have them more because you get to, they come to see you twice. Don't, well, our, our ones in our area come to see you twice. Um, so when we were signed off, I was almost a bit like, you can't go. I, I need that reassurance still. And then we had the health visitor who was who was lovely. Um, and so it was really funny, actually. So the, the health visitor turned up one day. She had like, this big briefcase thing with all of her bits in. But later on that day, I booked for a massage. So this lady was coming to give me a, a postnatal massage. So James answered the door and he's like, oh, you're the um, you're here for the massage. And she's like, no, I'm uh, I'm the health visitor. Come to see your baby. Like, this is awkward. I was like, so they came in and she was lovely as well. And luckily she, so she gave me her number and was like, if there's anything that you need or any questions. And I actually text her really late on on a Saturday evening I think it was like 11 p.m and she replied to me which I really didn't expect her to I didn't expect to get a reply until you know Monday or you know her normal working hours but yeah I, I had a really positive experience with our midwives and and the health visitor our aftercare was actually really different to how I thought it would be compared to with all the stories that I've heard from my friends who've had babies so really grateful for that Amazing. Yeah, that's always reassuring and nice to hear as well. Um, so I guess I'm going to wrap up the show now and say thank you so much for coming on today, Carly. It's been so lovely to hear your journey and so many congratulations. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure being a guest on your show. And um, I really enjoyed listening to your your birth story and also Maddie's, which I listened to earlier on today. I need to finish, actually. Um, Grace interrupted that she needed to be fed so we were only halfway through um, but yeah I'm really excited to hear your, the guests that you have on the rest of the series so thank you I hope you enjoyed today's episode if you'd like to see and read more about Carly's story please head over to britishbirthstories.com and I'll also link like I said her website and Instagram in the show notes and in the blog post See you next week.